0: Hey gymnasts, Elite Sports Band is a cutting-edge compression back warmer that can protect your most valued asset, your back. I'm Allison Taylor on behalf of Elite Sports Band. Visit EliteSportsBand.com. We've got your back.
1: Welcome to Gymcastic, Episode 5. In this episode, we're going to talk about what's going on in the news. We're going to get a little review of Sean Johnson on Dancing with the Stars by Uncle Tim. We're going to talk about, um, a re- we're going to do a little reality gymnastics show quiz. And we're also going to talk about cyberbullying and gymnastics. Um, you will have noticed that we have a new advertiser on the show Um, you know we'd love to bring you the show advertising free but uh, podcasting is not free we have to pay for our equipment our server Um, and so we're really happy to have elite sports bands um, on board to help us out with that and I'm also super excited because um, you know I've grown up watching the rest of the world use this product it's never been available in the United States So I'm super happy that it's finally here and we can help tell people about this product I take the integrity of the show very seriously, and so I want you guys to know that um, we recorded our interview with Allison Taylor uh, well before Elite Sports Fan became a sponsor. I actually thought about um, whether or not I should have um, the advertising start on this episode where she's interviewed, but I actually think that it's great that she's um, a spokesperson for them. I think it's a great product, and I stand behind it. So if you guys have any questions, feel free to email us. I know you will. And with that, let's start episode five. I'm your host, Jessica O'Byrne from Masters-Gymnastics.com, and I'm joined by my fabulous co-hosts. Life Lawrence from the Gymnastics Examiner.
0: Fanny Tampson from Fanny's Big Fake Smile.
2: Uncle Kim from Uncle Kim Talks Men's Gym.
1: So we're going to do um, a little special segment right now with Devorah Myers. Um, we have tried to get her, <laughs> we tried to do shows with her like twice now. And once the computer <laughs> decided to break and the second time I totally screwed up the schedule. So um, we really love Devora. and we love having her on the show. And I think that she's one of the great like uh, writers in gymnastics right now. Like there's some people who are just reporters and some people who are journalists, but um, Devorah is one of the few people out there who's really writing about the sport and really getting like in-depth articles out there um, in big publications Um, so I want to give her um, a chance to (laughs) contribute to the episodes (laughs) since we've had all these debacles get in the way so um, first we're going to get into um, talk a minute um, about um, men's gymnastics we had that conversation last week about what so what do you think um, can be done in men's gymnastics to make it more popular and why do you think it's not more popular?
0: I guess I'm going to start with why I think it's not more popular. I remember when I interviewed Miss Val, she pointed out uh, we were discussing the appeal of older corporate back in 1972, and she said something that, you know, seems like common sense, that it's only natural to be attracted to, in, to things that are young. And if you look across our media, from actresses to models to, obviously, athletes and especially female gymnasts. They're all quite young. I can't scientifically pinpoint why gymnastics with young female athletes is so much more popular than the men's side of the sport. But if I have to take a while, guess, I would say it's almost like unexpected. When you look at a really strong, soft guy, and then he does really cool things, you know, flips and twists and does these straight parts, it's exciting, but almost... Expect it. That's kind of almost what you were expecting. The visuals make you expect it. And I think when you look at these small, you know, younger women who are doing all these feats the dairy, I think it's just we expect one thing from people who are young and smaller and then completely comes another one eighty. Obviously, we now know and conditions to know that. Also, I think there, and I've written about this, I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about it because I really, really, though I do not know, understand men's gymnastics as much as I understand women's, I really, really enjoy watching it. I think also the men, not only do you expect, um, them to be able to do kind of these wonderful things because of their, you know, muscular appearance, they're also fully adult when, when you first meet them. Right? They might be young, they might be 19, 20, 21, but they look like adults. And so you don't get to kind of get to watch them transition. I think it's a thing that we enjoy watching also about child stars, like to see kind of watch them grow up. And I think you get that with female gymnasts. And what can men's gymnastics do to um, become more popular? I think first of all, already become more popular. I mean, I think some of the reason men's gymnastics, especially, I think, is more um, isn't as popular um, as women's is because. Women have, uh, more of a winning track record and we're in the U.S. We like to see our athletes win and I think if they started with the sustained track record that the women have, I think that in turn would help. And I think more of what they're already doing. I think what they do have going for them is that the women can be kind of quiet and subdued on the sidelines and um, was another was another thing that Miss Dell was noting um, when she was at trials is that how much people seem to be enjoying watching the men's personalities on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. You know, the men are a little older, they're really more into their personalities and I think people get into seeing that, you know, hearing Chris Brooks cheer from every end of the arena. Like you can literally hear him no matter where you were or no matter what event was going on, you can hear Chris Brooks. And I think people enjoy seeing a guy celebrating I think, you know, that's why, um, you know, Leva and his dad have become a little bit, you know, popular because of just the way they express themselves. I don't know that the sport itself can really dramatically change. You know, you can't, the male athletes are going to peak later. You can't make them younger. Um, and why would you want to? I mean, we've been trying, you know, and fans of women's gymnastics are so hopeful when we see older athletes. competing. Well. So we're not trying to make it, make it younger, which, you know, this is a good trend. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that I have an answer. I think it's you going a combination of, you know, winning and also finding that Mary Lou type character that really launches the for this the spotlight in the U.S. Men's net doesn't have the icon that women's net doesn't. Even in the Ishimura, do you think he's even become a world celebrity? It, I mean, I think he has a lot to do with that youthful, bubbly personality. I know that he's quite popular in Japan.
1: Is it basically what we need is we need Jordan Yochev to have been um, a U.S. gymnast. He needs to have won the all-around instead of being screwed over all those years. And then we need to have followed him and continue to win. Like, that's who we need. Like, someone who's, like, totally remarkable but who keeps winning. Yeah. You know, like, and, and you have
0: to realize the U.S. still is the biggest media market in the world. So, U.S. popularity means more than popularity in Japan. It means more than popularity in France. Not that those are meaningless, but, and they're very important, but it's still, this is still the biggest media market in the world. So if you're famous in the U.S., more likely the people around the world know who you are. Not guaranteed, but more likely. Because we export, you know, we export our TV shows, all those kinds of things. So it's, it's a big deal. Yeah, he needs to be from the U.S. He needs to be not an adult male. Remember, think of him, Michael Self. He first appears mm. we get to know him in nineteen. Yep. He first appears in Olympics at fifteen. That's his first Olympics. no one else is in me, but he's like fifteen years old. And 19, we get to grow with him and he's still a very young guy. And obviously his dominance is obviously the story there. But no no is never. I mean, Larry is <laughs> still a tin and all from right. you know, a totally different era in gymnastics. Not even, you know, apples and oranges.
1: Later in this episode, we're going to tackle the topic of cyberbullying in gymnastics. And when I first brought this up, I kind of wondered if I was using the right term. So when I talked to this and brought it up to um, Devorah, she had some opinions on whether or not that was the right term to use or not. And um, so what do you think? Is that like with what happened to Allison Taylor, who's going to be a guest later on the show? Um, do you think that's the correct term to use?
0: whether or not what Allison Taylor experiences as bullying, and I'm by no means an expert. People who have said nasty things are obviously just going to say something like, well, you know, we're entitled to our opinion. But, and yeah, you are. Just like Tosh, Daniel Tosh, was allowed to make his stupid, horrible, disgusting rape joke. Like, there is no censorship. Go ahead, say whatever you want about these girls. But also realize that you, you know, That your words have repercussions, your words have consequences, and no one is taking your right away to say them, but the gymnasts often read it, and they react negatively to it. So you can't just put nasty things out there and not think about the consequences of them. But, you know, you have to be willing to hear people's responses to what you say. My problem is that I'm just using, it's a very bad parallel, because obviously a huge difference between saying that someone should give up their scholarship, you know, and saying, making a rape joke. But a lot of the, like, you know, a lot of what came back was like all these comics like jumping to his defense and people saying, you know, I'm entitled to make jokes and say whatever I want. So yes, but you are not immune to criticism if you do. So Allison Taylor can get on the air and say that what she thought happened was cyberbullying. This is how she made her feel. And you can't close your ears. I mean, you can. You can do whatever you want. You are an anonymous internet commenter. No one is going to find you. But don't get super sensitive when after you spend hours criticizing someone, they don't have wonderful things to say about you either.
1: Right. (laughs) That's it. That's my spiel. (laughs) Okay. Dvor, I want to thank you so much for um, coming on and doing this do-over, do-over, and hopefully uh, someday our schedules will align so we can all have you. We can have you on the show regularly. Um, can you remind people where they can find you and where where your work is published?
0: So my website is unorthodoxgymnastics.com. It's you know it's really hit or miss for the gymnastics band. Sometimes there's stuff about gymnastics, and sometimes there's. Stuff about Judaism, and sometimes there's just stuff about things that I found interesting on the Internet. It's really a personal blog in the truer sense of the word, but some people seem to enjoy it. You know, other places my work appears, it's Deadspin, Jezebel, Slate. The New York Post. Basically, I'm a writer for hire, so anyone who lets me write something, that's where I write.
1: Good. And where can people buy your book?
0: My book is available on Amazon. You can search. So my book is called Heresy and the High Beam, Confessions of an Unbalanced Jewess. It's really, when I was inspired to write it by Nick Hornby's Fever Pitch, because it's really a memoir of being a fan, not being a great gymnast. I think most of us out there who watch a sport may have done a little, you know, done a little gymnastics or done some more gymnastics. Well, most of us are not Olympians, but we truly love this sport and it's really like a memoir about like how the sport impacted my life and it has a lot to do with religion because I grew up pretty religious and you can find it on Amazon. It's a digital book, but don't worry if you don't have a Kindle. Because you can download they have like a bunch of apps. You can there's an app for your iPhone, there's a cloud reading app, there's an app for like a million different devices. I'm really, the only reason I'm saying this is because a lot of my friends have been my good friends. Like, two months after it came out, we're like, how do I get this book? I don't have a Kindle. So I just wanted to throw that out there. You can get it even if you don't have a Kindle.
1: Perfect. All right. Thanks so much, Demora, and we'll catch you next time, hopefully. So, Blythe, tell us what's going on in the news.
0: What we're seeing this week is the second annual Mexican Open. Um, we will have several people who did compete in the Olympics in London, including Dan Purvis of Great Britain, and several people who probably should have competed in the Olympics, including Anna Dementieva of Russia. Um, from the United States, we will also have Brenna Dowell um, from Gage and Danelle Wittenberg, who is a very exciting young gymnast from the East Coast. He is actually the junior national champion in the 16 to 18 age group category, and he is to Ohio State this year, and he is an incredible guy, um, powerhouse gymnast, and has a lot of finesse, especially for his age, and big skills too, so that should be very exciting to watch. On the international front, um, we're reading that the girls from Romania are starting to use grips on bars now at all levels, and we saw that a little bit at the Junior European Championships this year. Um, almost all of the Romanians had grips then, and it really did seem to improve their bar work. We know that it improves their training time as well. They used to not be able to train very much on bars because they would be ripping their hands open um, before the competition, and so they they just wouldn't do very much. But now with grips, it's going to totally revolutionize. Their system. Uh, They also have a promising young coach um, who is working with the juniors. He's very highly educated and striving to give them a lot of motivation. And it was great to see him interacting with them as well. So things look uh, rosier on the Romanian side, I think you could say. Uh, In the Great Britain Gymnastics Magazine, um, there is an update on Solana Horkina. uh, And she's always a fascinating personality and great to read about. And so I definitely suggest checking that out. Uh, over on the U.S. tour front, uh, we hear from Jonathan Horton that he had a bit of an incident on rings. And if you haven't seen the tour, um, the guys do rings about three-quarters of the way through the show. And they're doing rings pretty high up. They get suspended 15, 20, 25 feet in the air, and he had a little bit of a malfunction with a grip, and we'll be asking him about that when we interview him shortly for another podcast. So uh, stay tuned to hear about that. Um, Elsewhere, Jessica, what have you been hearing?
1: Well, um, I don't know if you guys saw this week that there is a cheerleader who broke the Guinness World Record for backhand rings, and she did 35 which, you know, it's fine. It's impressive. 35 on grass, and she did it with her legs together, and, you know, her form was not that bad. But as we know, and thank you, all of you cheerleaders who out there, we appreciate what you do. Um, but no. honestly, this has to be a uh, gymnast who, um, who ha- holds this record. I mean, 35 is really not that many, let's be honest. Um, and, uh, so I know a few elite gymnasts are, are, have already seen this and are planning to contact the, uh, Guinness people to change this record and set it straight, put it back firmly in the hands of gymnasts. So I'm very pleased about that because really it needs to be held by a gymnast. Um, and then also I, um, I watched the video of, uh, have you guys seen, there's a video out there of, um, Chusovitna, uh, out she's is she, she thirty eight or thirty seven now. Um and she was she competed at like the or that at her like state meet um or national meet in Germany and she did all around. And of course like she did floor and it's like watered down, but it's awesome because like she, you could tell she's been enjoying her summer. She's super tan. She has a good time. Like it's just great to see her, you know, doing something like that and supporting her team by, you know, competing with the team at at their, you know, at, at their meet and um, you know, you never know. She's, you know, she's always out there. She's always competing and um it says that that story said that she was going to be um her contract ended with um, Uzbekistan and she's going to be coaching juniors um in Germany, but she's going to keep um keep like an exchange program open between Uzbekistan and Germany. So I think that's great because that'll really help the Uzbek program. And it's great to see that she's, um, you know, staying true to her home country. So um, always love to see she's of And it's really interesting to see Chusavita competing. After London, she was pretty adamant. She said, I am
0: done. And she's 37 years old. She has been to six Olympic Games. She is just an inspiration to all gymnasts. And she really seems very firm in this decision. But maybe she felt, hey, you know, I'm still in pretty good shape. I can still do all this stuff. That floor routine was impressive. It was great to see her on bars and beam as well. Everybody knows that she can fall. Um, and the league that she's competing in, the German Bundesliga league, um, it is they have a series of competitions in the fall and in the winter, and they can be competing for their for their teams that they're on uh, almost every weekend. And it's a great way to stay involved if you are an elite gymnast, a former elite gymnast. Uh, at the same competition, we saw the return of Fabian Andugin, obviously in great shape as well, coming off of the Olympics and looking really, really strong and cel- doing every routine terrific and celebrating that routine. And it's a, it's a league where they often have international guests as well. Uh, Russia's Polina Miller has competed quite a lot in the Bundesliga League and Anna Pavlova as well. And a lot of the men, even men from a really long time ago, um, Sergei Harkov, who was a 1988 Olympian for the Soviet Union, um, was out there at least a couple of years ago doing high-level gymnastics at age like 42 or something crazy. And so maybe, even if Shusha says, my international career is done, I want to spend time with my family, we'll see her continue to compete in the German League. And that would be really exciting.
1: All right. So... Uh, Uncle Tim has been following Sean Johnson's progress on Dancing with the Stars, and he has a review for us now.
2: All right. So the other night I went to a dinner party, and I got put at the little kid's table where I probably belong. And so I pulled out my phone and watched uh, Sean Johnson compete with Derek with a little kid named Felix, and he's six. And I took notes on his comments. And so we're going to go through what he had to say. Week one, uh, Sean and Derek did a boxtrot, and they scored a 22 out of 30. And to kind of set the stage a little bit, um, you might recall that Sean was wearing a mustard yellow, sparkly dress with a plunging neckline. And I'm not going to lie, I'm not used to the booby licious side of Sean Johnson, and neither was Felix. His first remark was, I think I can see her boobies. And then, her second remark was, why is her skin fake? And I think he's referring to how tan she looked. And then, when it came to the axle dancing, Felix wasn't too impressed. At one point, Sean and Jer- Derek tried to do synchronized band kicks, and Felix said, she's not very bendy. Amen, Felix. Amen. So that was kind of the end of Felix's comments. So let's jump ahead to week two, where Sean and Derek did a jive, and they scored a 25 out of 30. Um, Sean performed the jive in what looked like a hot far bar wench Halloween costume. Uh and Felix's favorite part of the routine was the beginning, which does not bode well for the rest of the routine. If you didn't watch, Sean and Derek both do cartwheels going down the stairs and well, quite frankly, I'm impressed because Sean did her cartwheel in high heels and I can barely do a crab walk in heels, let alone stand up and turn a cartwheel. Unfortunately for Sean, feels his amazement quickly disappeared. His next comment was, why is she squatting so much? She's like a sumo wrestler. Uh, later on, when Sean and Derek went into their kick sequence, he said, he's way better than she is. <laughs> At the very end, <laughs> he said, that ending was terrible. Out of the mouth of the babe. Finally, week three, the quick step, which was supposedly the best dance of the entire dance with the Stars sequence out of 15 seasons. Sean scored a 26.5. And I'm not sure if you saw their team, but Sean opens with front tuck. And Gary Derek does a tough fish branny. And I'm not going to lie. Board were an event, I think that Derek would have a higher difficulty score with the granny because it has to afterlife. Anyway, Felix loved the opening. He also loved when Sean did a backflip over Derek. But shortly afterwards, Sean did a straddle jump, and Felix said, She can't jump very high, can she, Uncle Tim? <laughs> Sorry, Sean. This is what a six-year-old said. Uh, And at the very end, when Sean and Derek jump off the stairs, Felix asked me, Did Sean just die? And I'm a terrible human being. And I said, yes. Felix ran into the the living room yelling, Sean just, just died. And he said, I'm going to need some alone time now. Then I had explained to him that I'm a terrible human being. And once he got over that, I asked him who he would like to see on Dancing with the Stars. He said, me, Iron Man, and Big Bird, which I thought was active given recent political de- developments in the United States. Anyway, my question for you guys is, who would you like to see on Dancing with the Stars? Or what would you like to see changed about Dancing with the Stars? What are your thoughts?
0: I would like to see Jonathan Horton on Dancing with the Stars. I don't exactly know why, you know. He's so he's so short, um, but I think that he could be quite graceful. And I would like to see how that storyline would play out on television.
2: Okay, and he's also done some YouTube videos, I believe, of dancing and so, uh, spanning. Um.
0: Well, this is after seeing um, there was a, a video posted just the other day of. Um, the tour group rehearsing the shuffle or whatever um, before, you know, their dance rehearsals. And not the just there. She clearly has no idea what's going on. Annalie is running the show. Now, first choice is obviously Annalie. She would win the whole thing. Second choice, Rebecca Ross. I think she's been lowballed with choreography her whole career. If you look at her, she's kind of busting it up like on the side there. Um, I think she could surprise a few people.
1: I would like to see uh, Danelle Leva, and of course, this is totally racist, and I'm just gonna say it anyway that he's, uh, you know, he's Cuban, and Cubans learn how to dance correctly from the time they're little. And you know why this isn't racist? It's because Americans, and I will say white people in general, dance like goofballs around little kids, and so little kids don't learn to dance properly because adults show them baby dancing instead of real dancing, and so this is why. Um, This happens. This is my theory, I'm just throwing it out there. But anyway, he's Cuban, so I'm just gonna say that he's probably learned to dance correctly from adults around him since he was little. And so I think he could probably bust it out. And also, I would like to see Orozco, because if you've watched Orozco on tour, he kills it. He is really good. Like, he has personality. He sells it. Like, he is obviously really comfortable. And um, he was actually really surprised me on tour because <laughs> some of the guys really struggle with dancing. But Orozco was definitely <laughs> very comfortable dancing. So I would love to see him. And, of course, Svetlana Boganskaya needs to be on the show. I don't mean, no one knows who she, who she is anymore here. But I don't care. I want to see her. She would win it all. And she would be the best ever.
2: I'd like to add that, um white people do know how to dance, it's just dances like polka. If you grew up in Wisconsin, you learned how to polka from a very young age. Anyway, in so I, class, would, I was also right? like... In dream class, exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah, you anyway. dance on one line to the other side to the other side. Okay.
2: <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so I would like to put on there too because um, on tour, he and Annalie were killing it on the floor. So I think that Josh Dixon could also be a big contender. Um, now I have a little segment for reality television in general with uh, gymnasts and coaches. And so I was wondering if there were a survivor with just the coaches, who would you vote off first? We're all on Survivor. And who, which of the following coaches would you vote off first? So, Marta, Marta and Bella Caroli, they're a team. Bill and Donna Strauss, they're also a team. John Gedert, Steve Nuno, Mary Lee Tracy, Tim Degas, and Rick from gymnasticscoaching.com. So, who would you vote off week one?
1: I'm going to say Marta and, uh, and Bella for sure, because those two are crafty. They've taken over gymnastics programs in two different countries, and um, you can't, they're definitely the biggest threat. Like, I can see them, you know, making alliances with everyone else, and um, um, so I would get rid of them for sure first. Very tough question.
0: I think that there are a couple of very dangerous, silent assassins, if you will, amongst that group. John Geddert? would be a very crafty competitor, I'm sure, and he might be the person that I would choose to vote off in the first week if I had that opportunity, just because I think that he would really surprise people once he got into the swing of it. Um, you cannot underestimate Rick from gymnastics coaching either. Uh, not many people may know this about Rick, but he is a very, very avid hiker and in phenomenal shape. And so Rick would be very dangerous as well. But I'm also tempted to agree with you that Bella and Marta absolutely could not be trusted and they might have to go early. My initial opinion is that Bill would be the weakling. He would bring everybody down. But then I remember there's Donna. And she's a mean one. I think if anybody's going to start like, poisoning water supplies or stealing rations, it's going to be Donna, but nobody's going to think it's her because Phil is going to be crying and nobody's going to think it's them. I think that they need to go because they frighten me.
2: And I'm going to go with Steve Nuno just because of his personality. If I'm going to be in the middle of the wilderness with someone, I need to be able to get along with these people. And Steve Leno, he would just be, you'd be chopping wood and he'd be sitting there beating like a dying lamb going, No! Right? And it would just be too much and you'd be chopping the wood and be like, That's one! One more time! One more time! And I just did not handle that. So, alright. Our next game is Philip so Boy is our bachelor and the contestant's are Alicia Sacramoni, <laughs> Betlana Hortina, Beth Weddell, Suzanne Yachlin, Catalina Ponor, uh, Vanessa Ferrari, and Deborah Myers. Who would end up with Philip Boy?
0: I'm going to say Suzanne because she's got a lot of titles. She can <laughs> walk and heal on any surface. I could see her killing the other girls with you. Like, <laughs> I could see her wiling her way. I could see her like you know, bribing producers and stuff, and being like, "Oh, Alicia is is on drugs," and then, "Oh, Alicia's gone," and then all of a sudden, everybody's gone, and Suzanne's the only one left. I can see a lot of shady things happening, and Suzanne being at the helm of them. I think, and it breaks my heart to say it, I think she and still a boy would be at that final episode together.
1: So I'm gonna say Horkina because sh- she is also a crafty one, and I can see her like doing anything to win. Um, and I can see her, you know, she can transform herself. She's like a chameleon. Like one day she'll look like a little gymnast. The next day she'll look like a supermodel. Um, and you know, she's, she's very crafty. So I can see her like taking out, you know, um, some of the other gymnasts, like, uh, that ice skater, what was her name? You know, with the, (laughs) <laughs> Tanya Harding Tanya Harding style <laughs> With, Off camera without anyone knowing um, You know like she managed to Like marry that like some movie star But then she had the kid in the U.S. So the, the kid will be the U.S. citizen Like that, that woman is wise So um, I can see her totally winning
0: I would say Ponor She's young, she's very pretty She's absolutely fierce She obviously wants to win At all costs and I think her sense of fun would appeal to Philip Boy. So for all those reasons, Ponor. That
2: there would probably have to be some stiletto fights and things like that to to beat off Yolkin and Horkina. <laughs> and I'm the only one with faith in Zora Meyer. She would win him over with her sense of humor. And I've never seen her try to walk in heels or anything, but I, I have a feeling she could learn. And you can't be a freelance writer without being super competitive. So I think Laura will find her way to that final episode as well. Our final uh, show is Ninja Warrior and several gymnasts have appeared on this show and actually haven't done too well. But um, who do you think would actually be able to finish the obstacle course? And our options are John Orozco, Sam Kulik, Marcel Wynn, John McCready,
0: Mark Conner, Uchimura, and Anna Lee. I would say John McCready. The man has incredible tumbling skills, even though he's not doing too much of it now. And he could really get the bounce that he'd need off of those powers and things to finish the course. So I would like to
1: say him. I'm going to say for sure um, Anna Lee, um, because we know that she has like ridiculous superhuman upper body strength and is just getting uh, stronger as she gets older. Um, and she always talks about her man back. So, and you know, so I think she'd blow people away on this, but the real person I think that could win the show is more than anyone is actually Jenny Hansen. Because she is absolutely getting stronger with age. She looks exactly the same as she did when she won all of her uh, NCAA titles. And um, I think she could totally, and not only would she blow everyone away, but she would giggle and smile the whole time. Um, and that's something you don't see on that show. So I totally give it to Jenny Hansen. I'm
0: going to say Bart Connor. I can't think of him ever failing at anything. Like Santa's failing. It doesn't happen. And he just looks awesome while doing it and his this would be amazing. Yeah, Art Connor
1: can't fail. He did land Nadia and get a gold medal, so. That's right. right. You know, it's so, so And And nice
0: and life. And I'm gonna
2: just have to say Ichimura just because he's Cody Ichimura and what can't he do in this world, um, besides, uh, hit a handstand on pommel horse.
1: Okay, I just have to qualify now my Danelle Leva Cuban uh, Cuban comment now because I have to say that it's not that white people can't dance because it often offends me when people see me dance and then they are like, oh, you're so good for a white girl, and I find that so offensive. Um, although it is a, meant as a compliment, clearly, but I'm just saying that little kids don't learn to dance well because adult white people don't dance like normal people around them. They dance like goofy little kids around little kids. Whereas if you go to, like, Cuba, and, and I'm just saying if you go to, like, Cuba and Brazil, the little kids, like, uh, adults don't change the way they dance because they're little kids around. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying.
0: Who is the adult dancing in Michaela Maroney's life? <laughs> 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 the video, the last one, where they're at a, they're at a baseball game, and they're all it's Ky- Kyla, Gabby, and then Maroney, and they're doing the Dougie. So, of course. Kyla's just like shaking her head kinda of, whenever. Dougie's doing her Dougie and it's beautiful and awesome. Mara, he's bless her heart. It's I don't know what to say about it. I don't know, where are you learning that. I have the image of mean girls where the little sister is dancing in the you know, in the the house to the milkshake song. Like I kind of think that was her as a kid. Um <laughs> And that said, she's a great dancer. I just...
1: I don't know where it's coming from. That's all I have to say about that. All right. Now that we've got all of our dancing comments out of the way, thank you, Sean, for the inspiration, and Uncle Tim for this fabulous reality show segment. Um, Let's take you over now to our interview with Allison Taylor, and she's going to tell us all about growing up at WOGA. You may know Allison Taylor from the 2010 National Championship winning UCLA Gymnastics team. Perhaps you listened to her commentary on the Meet broadcast. Or you may remember her from her early career as a standout in the Texas elite scene. If you don't remember her name, you should, because what we know now is that she was a founding member of the most successful elite gymnastics program in U.S. history. Allison Taylor was part of the first successful elite group to come out of the famed World Olympic Gymnastics Academy, or WOGA, in Texas. Coached by Valeri Lukin and Natalia Markova, her training group included Nastia Lukin and Rebecca Bross, while Carly Patterson, Holly Weiss, and Lindsay Eichel trained alongside her in Yevgeny and Natasha's group. What was it like to grow up in a program like that? We're about to find out. Allison, welcome to the show.
0: Thank
1: you for having me. I'm happy to be a guest. So um, the first thing that we do on this show is we ask people about something that they've always wanted to talk about or what's something they've always wanted to be asked. And I asked you about this before the show. And um, you were kind of, uh, should I say, the victim of some cyberbullying while you were at UCLA. Um, And let's talk about that and just get that out of the way and address kind of your journey at UCLA and what happened. and. Let's just talk about it.
0: Right. Well, my I had an incredible journey at UCLA. I was incredibly blessed to have the opportunity to even go to a university like UCLA and continue competing in the sport that I love. Um, and yeah, you're right. I, was, I feel like I was kind of a victim of some cyberbullying that was unnecessary. Um, there was a lot of talk about my scholarship and whether I honestly deserved it or not. And to be honest, I mean, I know people get cyberbullied all the time. Um, but it's hurtful no matter who you are and it's impossible to ignore. I mean, when you go on Google and you search my name in gymnastics, that's, that, that, a couple of those threads are like the second thing that pops up on Google. Um, and you know, my, my journey, I had a lot of injuries in high school and I, some of them I didn't fully recover from. I broke a bone in my foot my senior year of high school, which, you know, kind of hindered me from doing vaults, uh, throughout college. And it was, I mean, it was a rough time. I didn't perform to the level that I expected myself to, which was difficult enough. And then to know that the worst things you think about yourself, people are talking about on the internet, um, is a hard thing to go through. And I understand the internet is a place of free speech and people can talk about whatever they want, but it's still hurtful. And I was, you know, I was going into the gym every day and busting my butt just like everybody else was. And... To be honest, it, it doesn't matter to me if people think I deserved it or not. I know that I was in the gym every day, working just as hard as everybody else and putting just as much into the team as, you know, a star performer like Vanessa Zamarifa or Lee Coffin Hibbs. Um, in a team situation, you don't, you don't win national championships without every integral cause on a team.
1: With that out of the way, let's talk about what are your very first memories of Woga?
0: My first memories of Woga. Well, when I first went, I was still kind of a munchkin. Uh, I think I was level 9 or level 10 or something. And I just remember WOGA being almost the enemy, to be honest. I remember going to competitions, and there were, we called it the Red Army, because at that point, they had the all-red warm-ups, and they were always all up on the podium stand, winning everything, basically. So I was kind of intimidated, to be honest, when I walked in the first time and met with Valerian and um, It was I, I almost didn't feel like I deserved to be there just because they were so good all the time. And I, I came around to realize that I did deserve, deserve to be there yeah. and um, that, it, that it was my place and that was a place that I would eventually call home. But I just remember being so intimidated and almost being nervous to practice because I didn't want to mess up. I wanted to impress everybody.
1: So, how old were you when you were put into the pre-elite group, or when you went to Woga? Is that how it worked? Did they do pre-elite group?
0: Yeah, there was so there was um, Valerian and Afini, or Valerian and Afini had their separate teams. Natasha was with Evgeny, and Natalia was with Valeriy. And within those teams, they had separate groups. So, you know, there was a kind of a nine ten group, and then a pre-elite, I guess you could call it, and an elite group. Um, at that point, the, we didn't have a ton of People. So when I when I went to Woga, I think I was maybe I was 13 or 14, um, and I started in the kind of a 9-10 group and got evaluated. And then relatively quickly, well, I was fortunate enough to move up to train with Nastia and Megan Dulan at the time. Becca wasn't around yet; she was still a little kid. <laughs> but at the time, it was basically Nastia and Megan, and I.
1: And how did you guys have any dance training? Everyone wants to know this.
0: Yes, we actually did. We did ballet twice a week um, with Natalia. She had a full ballet program mapped out. We did it. It was probably a 45-minute routine with about half the time spent at a ballet bar in front of a mirror and half the time kind of out on the floor with choreographed ballet exercises with walkovers and leaps and that kind of stuff. So it wasn't just strictly your your ballet training but she also integrated gymnastics training into it as well which is why I think it was so beneficial for most of us.
1: And this is why you don't have horrible wrists. So.
0: <laughs> that is why I don't have the horrible slippy wrists that so many people have. Yes, I credit that to Natalia and ballet training because she. Uh, it was a pretty intense training. If she got too upset with you or if you weren't doing what she wanted, you were out for the day and you you had to go stretch or do conditioning while everybody else did it. She was pretty intense about
1: it. Damn. So n- not a lot of people know about her. Like tell us about her.
0: She is fantastic. She is very soft spoken. Um, she's an older woman, obviously. So she, she never really, it was rare for her to raise her voice. Uh, when she, when she did raise her voice, you knew you were in big time trouble because she was always very soft spoken. Um, most of the time, I kind of looked at her as more of the motherly figure because she, you know, she did balancing and mostly floor exercise. So when you had a rough day on bars with Valeria, you could come to beam and kind of get a hug from Natalia before she told you your assignment and you got going on your beam routines. But she, uh, she likes to kind of hang back in the background. She's not a forefront kind of person. She doesn't like a lot of the attention, um... But, I, I mean, I loved her. I was never the best athlete at BEAM, as most of you probably know. But she was great and patient and helped me just about as much as she could.
1: You know, it seems like Woga has really good fundamentals, um, except obviously some people have forgotten the fundamentals about their wrists, but we won't go into that. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, it seems like you guys really do. And did you guys work on that, like, every time? How was that emphasized?
0: Right. Basics was a huge part of our everyday training Um, on every event and not even on the events, but just simply holding handstands and doing pirouettes and doing work on the floor bars. Um, We would, you know, every day we would warm up and do our conditioning and then we would have either a handstand program that we had to do or a floor bar program that we had to do. We spent a lot of time on flexibility, which I also think is very important to the basics of gymnastics. And then, you know, on uneven bars, we, we had to go through a whole basic warm-up every single day. And same thing with balancing, We would have, you know, series of walkovers, a series of trajectory to back handsprings, um, holding a handstand on the beam, that kind of stuff. And then a few days a week also, we would go on the rod floor, and have a basic tumbling program, which consisted of back handsprings, front handsprings, front layouts in a sequence, with um, all that kind of stuff. And occasionally we'd go on the tumble tramp if everyone was a little bit sore, but basics was definitely an important part of our training that I think shines in every single Woga athlete's performances because form is something that Woga takes great pride in.
1: And what was a typical day like at Woga, including like your morning conditioning, all that kind of stuff?
0: Well, we had long days. Um, we were training twice a day, so we would wake up. I lived about 20 miles, a little over 20 miles from Woga, actually. I didn't live in Plano where the gym is located, so I had to wake up pretty early and get in the car and Once I turned 16 and got my driver's license, which was a big step, I could drive myself, which made my mom really happy because she had to drive the 40-plus miles every single day to take me to practice. Um, But we would get to the gym. With Valeria, actually, we ran track a couple days a week um, just to kind of stay in shape and work on sprinting and plyometrics and that kind of stuff. So we would either do the track workout or we would go straight to the gym and do a workout you know, we did the national team warm-up every day, and then we would go through conditioning. We would either have an upper-body day or a lower-body day, and they were usually, obviously, core is mixed in with either one of those, and then finish with a bunch of stretching. And then, like I mentioned earlier, the handstand program, we also worked a lot on turns. So we would go through a series of turns just on the floor, um, a full turn. Trying to stop perfectly a double turn, you know, whatever turn you had in your routines, whether it was leg up or whatever. Um, and then we would split up into our group and go to our events and to so our program. For me, I trained from eight to 12 in the morning and then went to school in the middle of the day, um, at Spring Spring Academy, which was less than a mile from the gym, which was Really convenient and then came back, ate a little snack and trained again. Shorter warm up, shorter conditioning in the afternoons, usually just get right to your events and finish your routines for your parts or whatever, you know, your skills that you were working on that day and usually wrapped up about seven o'clock and made my trek back home.
1: And how did this work where you guys had, like, with um, Valeria and Natalia, you had one program, but then simultaneously there was another elite program going on with Genny and Natasha in the same gym. Like, did you guys do any stuff together? Were you always separate? How did that work?
0: Occasionally, the groups would overlap. Um, you know, if group would be on bars, and we would have finished being faster than expected, and we would start bars with them. So. It definitely wasn't like everyone has to stay separated and no one can be on the same event at the same time because Woke is a a big gym. And there's not only the 9-10 groups and the elite groups, but there's also compulsories and, you know, optionals that need to get on the events as well. So it was kind of a a choreographed way of rotating between events. Um, But Eskene kind of had his own program that he did with his girls and Larry had a different one that he did with us. But it certainly wasn't like we couldn't overlap or interact with each other during practice. It was actually kind of nice, you know, when you got to an event and there was another group there of girls that you didn't normally get to train with. You kind of got to socialize a little bit, a little bit. I emphasize a little (laughs) between your turns. Um, But it was great. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better environment with all of those girls. And like I said, I really enjoyed when we overlapped on events.
1: And just so everybody knows, so it was eventually Nastia, Megan Dowlin, Rebecca Bross, Brenda Magania, and then in the other group was Carly Patterson, Holly Weiss, Lindsay Vandenichel, LVE, um, Stephanie Gentry, Caitlin White, Nina Kim, and Nikki Child. So that's quite a group. Yes.
0: It was was a big group. And then for a while there, we had some national elites, and so they kind of joined in the group as well. I remember taking... You know, we do the team pictures, and I remember taking an elite picture. And one year, it was literally exploding with blue leotards. I couldn't, I can't even remember everyone that was on the team, just because at one point we had so many girls that were at that level, which is a nod to the gym and the training style and the coaching style that they have. Um, but yeah, that, those were the groups. Those were the first groups. <laughs>
1: Crazy. Um. So how much um Russian or Kazakh language and culture did you learn while you were at Woga?
0: It was uh, definitely a part of our everyday life. The coaches normally talk to each other in their native tongue, whether it was Kazakh or Russian. And we, of course, learned some. We would ask the coaches when they were in a good mood, of course. We would ask them, you know, what stuff meant and how to say things. And once the coaches kind of knew what terms we knew... They would try to talk to us if they were ready to tell us to go home. They would tell us to go home in Russian, and of course, we would be happy. But I was lucky enough to travel to Russia twice to compete, and I was just completely immersed in the culture in Moscow. And luckily, Valery was with us, because otherwise I have no idea how we would have communicated with anybody, because most people over there don't speak much English, and Russian... Isn't like a Spanish where you can kind of figure it out if you know a little bit. Um, it's completely foreign, but we had a great time learning about our coaches' culture and how they grew up.
1: And so what was it like when you guys went? Like, did you train with the Russian team? Was there extra pressure? Because hello, it's Valeria Liukin, like coming back to his like <laughs> kind of homeland, like what was that like?
0: Right. We went over there the first time we went over there, we go to the, the big gym there called Dinamo, and you're right, Larry's a rock star over there, and Atene as well. Everyone knows who they are, and so we took pictures with everybody and got to train alongside some of their top athletes at the time. It took some getting used to. The equipment is a lot different over there. We had some major wipeouts, um, <laughs> and their, their mats are all kind of this white, beige color, which takes some time to adjust to as well, because in your visual sight when you're trying to flip it's hard to spot white and it's just a different aspect than looking at blue but we had a great time and I really enjoyed the experience and Larry was a rock star everyone knew who he was which is pretty cool we, we kind of thought to ourselves oh wow he is a big deal you know this is pretty cool <laughs> Allison, your generation at WOGA is very well known for how they comported themselves at national and international competitions, but I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about the individual personalities um, of your generation at WOGA. Who was the class clown? Who was the serious (laughs) one? Who was the messy roommate when you traveled? Well, let's see. The first thing that comes to mind for some reason is Seth Gentry. She was there she was kind of introverted, but as we got older, she, I think she kind of found her personality, and every once in a while at the chalk bucket, she would say something so funny, and you just kind of looked over at her and thought to yourself, where did that come from? And she's visually so quiet, Um, but, you know, Megan Doolin was kind of the older girl that was in my group. Nasty and I were basically the same age, and God forbid, I wasn't as talented as she was, but we kind of grew up together and, you know, we went to school together and spent 12 hours a day together. So Megan was kind of the girl that we looked up to. And Megan was always really funny and kind of tried to keep the group as lighthearted as she could. We were all busting our butt for so long every day. And it's inevitable that you're going to have rough days. And it was nice to have someone that was older than Nasia and really guide us through. Um, Nina, you Nina know, was hysterical. She is very artsy. She's very creative. She's actually doing makeup now for weddings and photo shoots and so forth. So she was always kind of hysterical and really creative. And Holly was relatively quiet. Lindsay, Lindsay, um she got made fun of when she came to UCLA because she always wore her her shorts really high, like her spandex shorts were always basically over her belly button. and I kind of started doing that, too, and when I came to UCLA, I got made fun of it as well, so now everyone out here at UCLA thinks that all older girls wear their shorts over their belly buttons, um, which is very strange, but yeah, I mean, we had a great group. It was really eccentric, and everyone had their own personality. And luckily, not everyone has a bad day on the same day. So you basically always had someone to go to when you were having that rough day that could make you smile or laugh or just put life in perspective for you. And this has been a very special thing to be able to be in the gym as Nastia was preparing on her Olympic journey. And I know that Miss Val has given interviews about you being a very good friend to her during that time. Can you talk us through the experience about what it was like to watch that coming together in a relationship? Uh, between sure. Nastya and Valerie, if that happened. Sure. Um, they were, they had an interesting relationship. You can imagine that, like I'm talking about with everything, there are good days and there are bad days. And I am just happy that I could be there as a friend to Nastya and help her through those bad days and vice versa. I, there were days that I wasn't on my game and Valerie was upset with me and she would be there to comfort me. We spent time together outside of the gym, and it was an incredible thing to watch her have her lifelong goal come to fruition. By the time she went to the Olympics, I had been through one year of college. So when I was watching her, I had been removed from the gym for a year, but when she was up on that podium, I had tears just running down my face, and Ms. Val likes to say that part of that gold medal is mine, (laughs) just because... We've spent so many years and so many long hours together training, and like I mentioned earlier, I was nowhere near as naturally gifted as Nasia. She's an incredible talent, um, but I'm just glad that I could be there and help her through the process in my own little way. She had a million people helping her, but I'm glad I could provide the role of friend and teammate while we were training together. And other than Marie Fjordholm, who Valerie was coaching through the 2000 Olympic cycle, uh, yours was really the first generation at WOGA to have a lot of success and really gain that national attention. Uh, What do you think the coaches learned from your generation about how to coach? I think they learned a lot. I think that they understand that every athlete is a little bit different, and every athlete has a different perspective on gymnastics and needs a different approach when they're being coached. Some people like when they get yelled at. That may, that fires them up and gets them going. Some people are really more sensitive about that kind of stuff. And I think with a group as big as ours of elite gymnasts that were training for at the highest level, that the coaches really realized that everyone has a different personality. And for everyone to perform to their potential, they needed to be aware of the athlete's mindset and emotions And that way they can approach it much better and help the athlete as much as they could. And gymnastics is a sport that, of course, breeds a lot of injuries. And that certainly happened to almost everybody in your training group at one point or another. Um, But you all came back to handle it very well and to go on to the NCAA. And how does WOGA handle rehab and pacing and returning from an injury um, and how did that contribute to success in the NCA? Well, everyone was usually very understanding about injuries. We didn't have a rehab program that we necessarily did at the gym. Most of us, if you had a serious enough injury, you had gone to senior orthopedist and you had a, a PT place that you went to to do your program. I had one that was relatively close to the gym so that I could go in between school and night practice. But even coming back from injuries, once you were cleared, I know for me, Valeri was always very cautious and had me build back up to training. I feel like a lot of people just try to jump back into it and then end up overcompensating or creating another injury because they're worried about their old ones, because they're not prepared yet to fully go back to training. But Valeri was understanding of needing time to rehab, and needing time to progress back into your full training. Um, so, yeah, that's. I think everyone, that's why our group was so successful. And our group was very motivated. Everybody had goals. And once kind of the first person went off to college and everyone saw how cool it was and how fun it looked, then everyone kind of took that as a goal in their mind. And it, it was kind of a light at the end of the tunnel. Like, if you can make it through this, you're going to go have – of black in college and had it be more of a team atmosphere than an individual sport. Do you feel that wogus coaches understand teenage girls better than most? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think as the years have gone on, yes. But again, that first group, we there were so many of us. And, you know, sometimes during the month just things aren't going to happen the way that they're supposed to. And you may just start crying for no reason, um, which I think was pretty foreign to them at first. But I certainly think that as the years have gone by, they understand teenage girls. And it, it definitely helps that Natalia and Natasha were there for each of the separate teams because, like I said, they sometimes kind of provided a, a mom role. And if you had a resume with the guys and they weren't understanding you, you could go to Natalia and just say, hey, I'm having a bad day, I'm falling, I don't know why, I'm frustrated. Um But, but yeah, I think there was a learning curve with everyone trying to understand teenage girls in America. Can you give us an update on Evgeny Marchenko? You know, Valeri has been all over the place with Quad with Rebecca Brock, but uh, we've seen a bit less of Evgeny. Is he still coaching at little bit? As far as I know, the last time I went and visited was, let's see, I was home in July, and I went up to the gym and saw everybody. And kind of after Carly won the Olympics, I think Atheney just wanted to take a step back, and he still coaches up at the Frisco Gym, which Woga opened several years ago. And I don't, to be honest, I don't want to overstep my boundaries, because I don't know how involved he is anymore, because I'm not around. But I know that he is coaching, and he's obviously still a co-owner and very involved with the program. Of course. And Liza also has a great reputation for pacing gymnasts very well, which allows them to peak both as junior and senior elites. Can you talk about what you feel it is about that coaching philosophy that allows it to happen? Obviously, pacing is is an important thing in gymnastics. The first thing that comes to mind is Caitlin Ohashi, and she is already a dead muffin and could have competed probably on the Olympic team this year just simply isn't old enough and basically just has to wait another four years for her chance to live out her own Olympic dream. And I know that the coaches know when each athlete should peak. I look at Carly and I look at Nastia, and they peak perfectly. And it's just something about the coaches having that experience as athletes themselves that they know how important pacing is because they know the process and they know when you need to be doing what. Sometimes we maybe wouldn't compete at a classic because it just wasn't right at that point or during that year. And I think that's a really big part of why woga has been so successful at the elite level. Woga has been incredibly successful at the elite level. Then there's also the feeling that Nastia could have been terrific at the Olympics in 2004 and Caitlin as you said could have been terrific at the Olympics this year. How do you feel about the international rules that prohibit prohibits from competing at the senior level until age 16? Do you think that should be changed? Um, if, If it were to be changed, I would say only change it to 15. I am a big believer in young girls being able to be young girls and not pushing themselves further than necessary because There's just, when you're young, you don't necessarily have the maturity level or the emotional capacity to be able to compete at that level, and some girls do, but I think it's kind of an an anomaly, whereas most young girls are still 13 and 14 years old and trying to start high school, and they don't know what's going on, so I appreciate the fact that the international rules try to preserve youthfulness as long as possible, and I think that that 15 16 year old age range is where you're going to be at your best because you're big enough and strong enough to have power but you haven't maybe fully hit puberty yet so you're fully functional and able to flip as easily as you want Um, but I, I think an age limit is necessary but if they were to change it I think maybe 15 would be about as low as I would want to go. My last question is sort of a tough question, and you are not under any obligation to answer it. Um, I was just remembering when Vanessa Atler went on starting over the reality TV show, um, she alleged that she was asked to skip meals on training at Loga um, when gearing up for the Olympic trials. And I was just wondering, was this ever suggested to you? No, certainly not. I actually remember one time I got really sick, and I lost a bunch of weight just because I couldn't keep any food down. And I came back to training and just had no no power, couldn't do anything. And Valeri was making sure that I was eating because he wanted me to be powerful and have muscles. Otherwise, you're just going to land on your head and it's going to end up being a really dangerous situation for the athlete. So for me personally, I never had that experience with anyone suggesting that I skip meals or do anything of that nature that would be unhealthy. Thanks for answering the question. You know, just because that was out there, that was the only reason that I asked. Oh, no, certainly. I understand. I mean, that's a big topic in gymnastics. It always has been and always will be because of the frame of athletes in gymnastics. And most of them are naturally small. And I'm not going to be stubborn and say that that never happens anywhere. But for for me personally, in my experience, that wasn't the case.
2: All right. So, um... I guess one of my first questions is what is the LOGA policy about watering down routines and do they let the gymnast decide if they're not feeling up to a certain skill for that day or what what kind of philosophy is that?
0: Um, Watering down is an interesting topic. I think that um, for in my experience, when you're a young athlete, you don't want to go up to your coach and say, hey, I'm not I'm not feeling up to doing this, which is something that really became clear to me once I came to college because once you're in college, you're an adult, you're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, and you can go up to your coach and say, hey, this is what I think is better. And it's more of a camaraderie and you're kind of interacting with your coach. But so when you're 12, 13, 14 years old, You're not necessarily comfortable going up to your coach, someone that you look up to and someone that you want to please so much and saying, I'm not comfortable with doing this. I'm not feeling up to it. Um, I think that this is going to sound, I don't know if it's going to sound bad, but I feel like in club gymnastics, it's more of a dictatorship where the coach is telling you this is what you're going to do. And you're, you don't necessarily feel like you're in a position to argue or kind of discussion about it. Um, so watering down the routines, I never really experienced it. I never really watered down unless I was coming back from an injury. But I think it's necessary at some point to avoid injuries.
2: So WOGA girls are known for certain things and not known for other things. And so one thing you expect from a WOGA girl is good front tumbling. And so how would you, how do you guys learn how to find trouble so well?
0: Well, like I said at the very beginning, we do a ton of basics. So I remember when I came to Wolga, I hurtled wrong and I didn't even know that I was hurtling wrong, but Valerie had a conniption fit my first day of training because I was hurtling basically off of the wrong leg. And I probably spent two days basically just doing hurdles into a cartwheel, into a front hand spring, nothing after it. But I think the emphasis on basics and knowing that you're capable of front tumbling is really important. We do a lot of trampoline work, which is also really helpful in learning how to front tumble and front twist and double front and all of that kind of stuff. So I think the trampoline training, the tumble track training, doing all the basics on the rod floor, really was helpful to all of us in
2: front company. All right. And there are other skills that usually give some woga girls trouble, like the podcast well, yes, bar and, <laughs> and barred well, so I was going to ask about that. <laughs> so why do you think that, you know, woga girls have trouble with these skills?
0: I, you know what? That's really funny that you asked that because like, I, I mean, I knew that you were going to say bar dismount before you even said it. And I think that the bar dismount issue is that we try to jam so much into a bar routine because Valerie and Atheney are fantastic at teaching bars and coaching, you know, coaching you into putting routines together and teaching you new skills that are, is going to make your bar routine a marathon. I think about Nostia's routine in the Olympics, and it was a marathon. And I feel like that everyone's just inspired by the end of their routine, that there's only so much that each girl can do to put it on her feet, you know? Um, and with the Tukatruv issue, I mean, Tukatruv was, personally for me, was the easiest release move to learn. I remember going through a process of trying to learn a ginger, which didn't work for me whatsoever. It kind of matched with my dismount abilities. I couldn't separate the two mentally. And I did learn a Jaeger, and I did it for quite some time, but I had a bad habit of smacking my heels on the bar, and I still have these calcium buildups on the back of my feet to prove it. Um, but everyone kind of went through a process of learning their big, quote, relief move, and I don't know if it was just because, I mean, Valerie was a Jaeger man himself, a full-fishing Jaeger, you know, is named after him, so maybe that's why it's just, the coaching style, and them knowing how to teach certain skills better. I'm not really sure, but the dismount issue, I think it's just because everyone's so freaking cooped after their routine. So
2: you mentioned uh, kind of this long process of learning release moves, and so I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could talk maybe about some of the wipeouts you saw at WOGA. Were there any good bar wipeouts? Were there any, you know, beam wipeouts? Oh, about
0: that. we had wipeouts all the time. It's inevitable when you have that many people in the gym trying to learn new skills. And don't forget that we had a very successful men's program as well. So we had guys that were just chucking skills all the time. And um for me, I was learning a shakashnikovah on bars at one point, and Valeria was spotting me and... I threw the bar too early and was going to land back on the low bar. And he pushed me, you know, pushed me into the middle of the bars. But him pushing me pushed himself onto the concrete and actually broke his thumb, um, trying to spot me. And he saved my life more than once. That's just one example. But um, at the, the Plano gym, it, it, before it was logo, it, it was a grocery store. And so there, it was kind of a split level. There was a level up top where there were two pit bars, a rock floor into the pit, a vault into the pit, trampolines, and then a beam that just into the pit. So if people went crooked off of that top platform, they were off. They were off onto the floor, and it was kind of a substantial drop. Um, and, I mean, like I said, there were guys, and they are so powerful that they would fly off. The, the floor was kind of next to the beam. And so if they over-rotated in out of their tumbling path, they may run into the beam that you're trying to do something on, which, got, which caused some problems. Um, but yeah, I'm sure I could go on and on about wipeouts, but we had some really great ones. And I actually had a competition when we were in Moscow at Dynamo. Um, there was a photographer there, and the floor was... There's, like, no springs over there. It's just kind of the, the squishy foam that's supposed to be bouncy but really isn't. And one of our male athletes, Tim Gentry, Seth Gentry's brother, finished his floor routine with, a, like, a half-in, half-out. and just had no bounce and basically landed on his face and got a rug burn all up on his face, and the photographer caught it just as his feet were on the floor and his nose was about an inch from the floor. And that kind of became an infamous picture. Someone, I think, printed it and put it on his locker, and it was a good time. We had, we had some good times with Wipeout.
2: So could you tell us something that we would be surprised to know about uh, Valeri or Evgeny or Volga in general?
0: Let's see. Well, um, Valeri does not like vodka, even though he's Russian. That is something that most people find really intriguing. Um, I don't know if that's appropriate to put on the air, but it's a good author anyway. Um, let's see. I think it, it, most people think that it's like this really scary, hardcore, no one smiles, no one laughs kind of place. And the girls, everyone is basically like a family. I mean, when I go back to Woga even now... I am greeted with hugs and everyone asking me how I am. And granted, a lot of the athletes I don't know anymore because I'm so far removed that these girls are like 10 years younger than I am. Um, But it's just, it's a really big family and everyone is really genuinely likes each other and is honest and loving. And I mean, I I just, I couldn't say any more great things about it. It really formed who I am today, and I couldn't be more appreciative.
2: So you mentioned that you guys had fun and stuff, and there's this moment that's been captured on television that surprised (laughs) gym fans. So during the 2003 World, Carly infamously said, did she just fall? Ah, that's too bad. So what (laughs) did you think when you found that out?
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, that was... Carly was still so young, and we were all still so young. I mean, any of us would have said it on TV without even thinking about it. Um, but when you listen to that clip, she's still got a really thick Louisiana accent, and she just sounds like this little Cajun girl, you know, complaining about someone falling, and it's still something that I talk about. I think not too long ago, I found that on YouTube. Because I was showing my boyfriend because it's so funny, and I just put it on her wall on Facebook, and she was just like, "I can't even believe I did that. That's so embarrassing." But you have to, you have to be honest. It it was a great, funny moment. And gymnastics is so worried about, you know, always kind of being straight-laced and politically correct and putting on a good stage. So I think it was great that they actually captured a a real, honest moment. (laughs) And
2: speaking of Carly, um, her wedding's coming up. What can you tell us about her wedding and then also about other Woga Girls' weddings?
0: Well, it's that time of our life where everyone is getting married and having babies and growing up, which is really strange. I currently have... Well, Nikki Childs is getting married today in Georgia. She is marrying a guy that she met at the University of Georgia Um, Carly's wedding is here in about a month and I'm not sure that I'm gonna be able to make it out to that one. I work a ton here at UCLA. Um, but it's gonna be in Dallas and she's marrying Mark Caldwell, so she's gonna be Carly Caldwell, which I think is adorable. And Megan Doolin is getting married in December, which I will be able to attend because I'll be at work and going home for Christmas break. So I'm excited about that. Um insane to think about when I look at the old pictures and to think about that we're all at that point now.
2: One thing that many gymnastics fans uh, wonder about is the school you guys went to. You mentioned it earlier, Spring Creek Academy. Um, Could you give us a scoop on that? Is it just gymnasts or are there other people there? Um, Do you even have dances or (laughs) what do you deal with Spring Creek Academy?
0: Well, when we when I first started going there, I was in seventh grade, and that's when the school was pretty new, and it was basically all gymnasts at that point. I mean, we would go to school in our leotards, and we would just throw some spandex and a t-shirt on and go do school for however long and then go back to practice, but as the years went by, we had a plethora of different athletes, hockey players, high skaters, tennis players, people that were in the Dallas Symphony, um, people that played in the orchestra. It was, you know, it basically was a school for kids that had an extracurricular activity that took up a substantial amount of time. And it was intense and it was focused. We didn't have PE or recess or lunch or any of that kind of stuff. It was short 30-minute segments and... We got what we needed to get done. And, and everyone always asks me, well, do you feel like you got a, a full education? And I tell them, well, I just graduated from UCLA. Like, obviously, I was, you know, obviously, I had enough in my brain to go to UCLA and be successful and graduate. And that's just a, a tribute to the kind of people that go to that school. Because everyone is focused on their sport or their music or whatever they're they're involved in. And which, I mean, means they're going to be disciplined in school. And whatever they need to get done and the time they need to get it done, that's what's going to
2: happen. So it sounds like you're kind of surrounded by very driven people for a long time. Um, And with driven people, oftentimes you have uh, driven mothers. And I was wondering (laughs) if you could talk a little bit about some of the your experiences with gym moms where they kinda like the moms on the television show dance moms, (laughs) that?
0: I love dance moms, first of all. Anything like on the PLC Discovery network I'll get sucked into in a second, as dramatic as all of it is. Um, first of all, I'll say that I was completely fortunate that my parents were relatively hands off. Um they helped my mom was involved with running meets and stuff, but I had awesome parents who supported me in whatever I wanted to do, but when you ask me about, you know, crazy parents, I think of right after each Olympic quad, um, people would pick up and move their lives across the country to come to Loga, thinking that their children were going to be the next Olympic champion, and when that didn't happen, parents got upset, and... I kind of wanted to say to them, you know, it's not like you walk through the front doors and this magic, sprinkly, fairy dust falls on your child and suddenly they're an Olympic champion or they're a world champion. Um, A lot of it has to do with the kid themselves and how talented they are and how hard they're willing to work and how focused they are. But we definitely had some parents that got upset when their child wasn't the next Carly or the next Nazia.
2: So it was kind of like the stick-it moment where the mother is like, but she's going to the Olympics, right? Oh, yes. Like, oh, yes. <laughs>
0: you're spot on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right. And one question that we asked all of our interviewees is, what is your most embarrassing gymnastics
0: moment? My most embarrassing gymnastics moment happened when I was a level eight, and it was the state meet. And um, it was the last rotation, and I was gonna win the meet. I stayed on the beam, which was huge for me, and I start my floor team, my very first tumbling pass, I'm running. I don't, I, I don't even get to the hurdle. I literally <laughs> rub myself <laughs> and roll across the floor. When I stand up, I don't even know what to do. So I just run to the corner and salute. Like I just did a whole tumbling patch and really I just did something that a toddler could do. And I keep it together for obviously my mom's videotaping. I keep it together for the rest of the routine and I finish and the second my foot steps outside the white line, I'm falling, I'm freaking out. My coaches are saying, you know, don't expect high score because, your start value is going to be so low because you, I literally missed an entire tumbling path and all the requirements that were in it. Um, so that was probably my most embarrassing moment. I was mortified. And, you know, when you're a you you're still pretty sensitive to that kind of stuff. I'm not as easily embarrassed, embarrassed now, but it was pretty bad. And that's something that started me for life. <laughs>
2: <laughs> thank you very much for being on our show, Allison.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you so much.
1: So right when I started the interview with Allison, I used the word cyberbullying when I was talking about kind of what went on with her and um, and how she was treated when she was on the team um, at UCLA. And immediately I felt regretful, like, oh, I shouldn't use that because that's too strong of a word to use. Um, we can't compare this to kids that are, like, bullied so bad in school every day that they kill themselves. And, and then I was like, but, I mean, isn't it kind of, like, it depends. Isn't it kind of the same? Like, I brought it up with the with the rest of the, um, of the hosts, and I just said, like, God, I kind of regret bringing that up, and, and then I was like, but, you know, should I take that out? Is it really the same? And so we kind of started a conversation, um, and, you know, I just thought that conversation is really, I mean, it's a really pre- prevalent issue in gymnastics, and I thought we should bring that conversation to the air, because it's definitely something that's going on, and it's something that, you know, to this day, it follows Allison Taylor, because, there are public spaces where if you Google her name or watch a video of her, you know, all of those comments are part of the public record. It's not like they were said in private and then that goes away. Um, you know, all those things are still there out in the open. Um, so anyway, let's, I don't know, what do you guys think? Let's talk about this. Um, Uncle Tim, you, you responded right away to what, when we started this conversation.
2: I think that journalists are used to having their gymnastics critiqued. And I think that what bothers them is when it goes beyond their gymnastics and extends into parts of their life. And with Allison is a question of whether she should have her scholarship or not. And um, personally, I don't really have an opinion on that. Um, But in terms of cyberbullying, I think that, yes, everyone kind of has the right to free speech. But I think that when you have that right, you also have to remember that there will be repercussions for what you say. And um, thankfully, none of the repercussions thus far have been tragic. Um, we haven't had any case where uh, an elite gymnast has um, read something online and then caused personal harm. or um, And as far as I know, there hasn't been a case where an elite gymnast has read something online and then developed an eating disorder or something, and I'm very thankful for that. And I could see how some comments could trigger those responses in, a gymnast who was in a very specific mental
0: or emotional state. I think, too, there's a mob mentality. Um, and I mean, in any social setting, I mean, i was just saying just the internet, you get a pack of girls together in junior high. And that's how a lot of people bond, is by agreeing on one thing. And a lot of times that one thing is something negative about one person. So what's a great way to get everybody on the same page? Let's Let's discuss, again, like a sad bar's routine or a certain bar's mouth. Or because everybody's like, oh, yeah, I hate that, blah, 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 blah. And everybody agrees and everybody feels close to one another. I think there's a line. You know, you can say, like, I didn't like that and here's why. Or this was incorrect because of this. I think when people just get off on saying, like, oh, that was filthy. She's disgusting. Like, now you're getting just mean. And I'm not going to pretend I didn't know that I have. But I don't think it's healthy. And, I mean, you know, especially as we get older, too, I don't think there's a the need. The need for us to bond by trashing teenage girls basically i
1: think it's really interesting you point out the mob mentality because i know like you know studies show that negative bonding is the most powerful kind of bonding like that's why when you're like in the military like they put you in a group and they just like put you through hell so that you bond with the people next to you so like that happens also in uh the gymnastics fan mentality is like none of us can stand us this and so everyone goes off about it um but I agree with um, Uncle Tim that, like, the negative, like, the personal attacks, like, unless, in some cases, there are people who've done horrible, you know, said horrible things, and they have, you know, that has been a repercussion for their entire gymnastics career because no one has forgotten that one, you know, thing they said or thing that they did that which showed their character and that they had, you know, said something that um, they've never been able to live down. Uh, I think that, like, in the case of someone who just... Um, you Know, has a hard time, and you know, and uh, gymnastics-ly, gymnastically has a hard time, um, but you know, to attack them personally is that's really, I don't know, it's harsh, um, and then I think it's better kept in like a private space. So, with that out of the way, let's talk about um, listener feedback. Fanny, what do you have for us this week?
0: We start by saying we receive all of your feedback when you email it, leave it on the gymnastic website, Facebook, Twitter. Now, one comment I'd like to point out is from the Gymcastic website. Again, this is after we were discussing all the drama in Russia. This is Yuri
2: Kupskol
0: says, There's a great series of posts on Tumblr about events leading up to the Russian team going to the Olympics and Alexandrov firing. Both hilarious and insightful. I highly recommend it. And then she goes on to link to Rachel's Tumblr, which is, uh, What Should Gym Fans Call Me? That's Tumblr.com. It's hilarious. I mean, I've been a fan of it for a while, so, uh, but she does, she points out, either her reactions to various things, you know, all regarding gymnastics, um, who gets some pictures, and it's, who's are really in, insightful and hilarious, just like Yuri It pointed out to us. Um, this particular post, again, regarding kind of a history of Russian gymnastics is in four parts, and it's worth every part for your little internet to load up. Yeah, so I wanted to pass that link on, because I think it's, of moving pictures especially of gymnastics and of course we get all your positive feedback and quote a point out we are working on sound issues and things like that so but please continue to receive feedback regarding your technical issues or just what you like and you don't like please if you do listen to us on iTunes please rate and review us
1: all of your listener feedback we'd love getting your comments and facebook posts and tweets and um, next week we're going to talk to jonathan horton so if you have any questions for him make sure to comment on the website send us a tweet put a comment on facebook email us at gymcastic at gmail.com and we will try to ask him all of your questions and we want to um, thank you guys so much for um, listening this episode is brought to you by elite sports
0: band EliteSportsBand.com. We've got your back.
1: Visit EliteSportsBand.com, that's sports with a Z, and save $5 on your next purchase with the code GYMCAST. Until next week, I'm Jessica O'Byrne from Masters-Gymnastics.com. I'm Blythe Lawrence from the Gymnastics Examiner. I'm Fanny
0: Tamsen from Fanny's Big Fake Smile.
2: I'm Uncle Tim from Uncle Tim Talks Men's Gym. See you next week.